tonight we have sung a couple of songs that are in relation to the Word of God. And as I was standing off to the side, there was a statement that a pastor shared with me years and years ago. And I felt like for this crowd, for tonight, at this moment, it was something that God was prompting me I needed to share with you all. And his statement was, Paul never encouraged people to fall in love with the Word of God. And it stopped me for a moment. He said, encourage them to fall in love with the God of the Word, and they will inevitably love the Word of God. Sometimes, if we're not careful, our mind is, I just want to study this. And you can study nuance and language, and you can study themes, and you can walk in and out and not meet with the God of the Word. So tonight, as we're verse by verse through Scripture, it's just one of those pieces that God just prompted me of a few moments ago. I love the opportunity we have to be able to study the Word of God together. So tonight, I'm actually going to share a couple of observations as we kind of get some things started. And uh, these observations are by no means profound, but they are observations that uh, maybe you can relate to. So as a dad of two daughters, as a only dude in my house, (laughs) as a parent who has watched my girls go through elementary school and middle school and high school in the first part of college, there's a couple of observations that I've made. I just want to kind of share those with you as we get things set up tonight. So observation number one from over the years is guys and girls enjoy completely different things on television. Um, I have seen Pride and Prejudice and Ever After and Frozen and Tangled and all of those things. About every Hallmark movie, more than any red-blooded American male should ever watch. But on the plus side of that, I have introduced my girls to Star Wars and Rocky. Amen. Amen. Yes. Now it's spiritual. By the way, it is funny when you say Jesus and there's no amen, but you get into Star Wars and Rocky and all of a sudden revival breaks out. But uh, anyway, I've also introduced them to every Alaska-based TV program. So I feel like at this point, that's probably a wash. Um, Observation number two that I've made is tears may or may not indicate a crisis. When I see tears, my first response is something is really wrong. That would be incorrect. (laughs) It might just be a moment. And you just let the moment pass. So my standard question over the years has always been, do you need me to punch anybody in the face? And my girl's response is always no, but I like to keep my options open. Amen? (laughs) All right, observation number three. Girls, especially little girls, can be mean. Mm. Now, this is something I did not know until I was a dad. But did you know talking to someone who is not your best friend can cause you to lose your place on the monkey bars? That's a true story. Talking to somebody who is not your friend, all of a sudden you get to lunch and there is a new best friend sitting in your place. I, I, eight-year-old girls don't play around. 
I'm telling you, that they, they have an agenda right there. So as quickly as those things start, they can also end, but don't think it's over. Oh, no, it's, it's not over. It's kind of like intermission at the theater. Just give it 15 minutes and the drama will resume. So over the years, I just kind of step back and I'm just like, all right, everybody okay? Everybody fine? The tears going to go away? Let's have dinner together as a family. All I could say is the emotional drain on young ladies is difficult. I don't know how many of you make it past middle school. Now, and by the way, I do have a point in sharing all of this, just in case you're wondering if I'm just strolling down memory lane. So let me just kind of say the difference as far as like a guy growing up. When I was growing up, you had an issue with someone. You went and you handled it behind the jungle gym at recess. You'd punch each other in the face a couple of times, and you would go on about your day and your friendship. It had nothing to do with friendship. You just go on, you handle your business. And there were rules of engagement, and every guy in here knows the rules of engagement. That is, if there was a group of guys harassing you, this is multiple choice, and there's a couple of small ones, and there's a big one, who do you hit first? The big one. That's right. You take out the big one, and the other two will run, and you got bragging rights until somebody takes you out. It was simple. It's just how you did things. So when I say I've actually got a point, I really do. So <laughs> I know it's, it's a while getting to my point, but in the book of Galatians, there has been a group of bullies coming after the Apostle Paul. They were the Judaizers. And this group, they challenged him his apostolic credentials. They challenged the veracity of his words. They challenged him where he went. They would go in front of him and they would stir up trouble in the next city that he was arriving in. They would go back and try to undermine his teaching along the way. They were telling people that for them to be right with God, they needed to place faith in Jesus plus have adherence to the Mosaic law. They needed to do those different things. And up until this point, the Apostle Paul has shown them the error of their ways on a theological level, on a practical level, on a rational level, and also on a personal level. It has been a battle of words. And now at this point in chapter 3, he's going to expose their error on a historical level using their biggest hero. He's going after their main guy. He's going after the one that they're saying, we're modeling our life after him. So the guy they're going to address, or Paul's addressing, is the man by the name of Abraham. So for the Judaizers, it didn't get any bigger than Abraham. He was the father of Judaism. He was the great patriarch. He was the one to whom they loved and they revered, and they held him up as the standard. So by the Apostle Paul going and saying, I'm going to show you by your own hero through his life, through his testimony, that what you are teaching is incorrect. If he could establish that argument, they would not have a leg left to stand on. And that's exactly what he does in this particular section of Scripture. So for the next several messages, we are going to address this idea that justification by faith has always been God's plan. And all of this is going to roll out of the life of Abraham. So in this particular section, we're going to find that justification by faith was God's plan before the law. It was God's plan under the law. And it's also God's plan under grace. 
We are made right with God by faith. Now, somebody might say, but Paul, I'm not arguing that. You're preaching to the choir. I believe 100% justification by faith. How does this text have any relevance to me? I'm going to give you at least six ways. I believe these are in your notes. First, it equips us to share the gospel more effectively. By helping us understand the redemption process, we are better equipped to share the gospel with others. If you want to grow in your understanding of the gospel, this is a text that's going to help you do exactly that. The second reason this is going to be relevant is it draws us back to the heart of the gospel itself. You've heard me say multiple times, we never outgrow the gospel, we grow into the gospel. This is another one of those texts. In order for us to understand the next part in the book to the Galatians, we have to understand the heart of the gospel. Number three, it expands our theological understanding of salvation. So we have new words that are now being introduced into the redemptive process from this section. That is, we're going to see the words of redemption, promise, covenant, inheritance, sonship, and freedom. All of those are now going to find their placement within the gospel narrative. Also, number four, it emphasizes faith after salvation. And this is huge. It's not faith up to salvation and then works after salvation. It is faith before salvation, faith at salvation, faith after salvation. It is how we enter the race is how we run the race. Number five, it shows us the intent of the law. The law was never given as an alternative means of salvation. The law is our tutor that leads us to Christ. And then number six, it shows how Abraham trusted God, listen to these, with major promises, hard decisions, prolonged periods of waiting. Pause. Have you been trusting God for something for a long time and you haven't seen it yet? Have you been trusting God with major promises and they've not come to fruition before your eyes yet? Have you been trusting God with hard decisions and you're not sure what he wants you to do in the moment? If that's what you're walking through, Abraham can testify. Abraham's also a guy who he walked through confusing times. He walked through moments of human impossibility. And he was walking with God through all of that and out on the other side. Now, Abraham was by no means perfect. But let's be honest, apart from Jesus, none of us are perfect. But he is a great person to look at when it comes to his walk of faith. So we're going to go into the section tonight and we're going to see how it is that the story of Abraham, somebody who lived 3,500 plus years ago, how his story is unbelievably relevant to us today, how his story is absolutely essential in the Apostle Paul's defense of the gospel message. So I invite you today, go with me in your Bibles if you're not already there, Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 6 through 9. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. I'm speaking tonight on the subject, it's always been faith. Here's what it says. Even so, 
Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into the text tonight, God, may your spirit open up this text. Lord, I pray that as we dig in, that the truths would come alive, and they not only come alive that we're in awe of how the word is written, but they come alive in a way that it makes a difference in how we live each day of our life. God, we're trusting that your word alone, and by your spirit alone, the work will be done in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So every time we enter into a new text, I try to give some insights to help people get their bearings on what's taking place in that particular passage. Even if you know what the big idea of the, the book is about, even if you know what the big idea of that chapter is about, there's often a number of things like theme changes that are happening or certain markers that are within the text that when you understand those pieces, it makes the text come alive a little bit more. So I'm going to give you two of those as we get into things tonight. The first would be, while we're focused on verses 6 through 9 this evening, it's important for us to notice that they are a part of a larger package of Scripture that comes from verses 6 through 14. So we're only focused on the first part. All of these verses are addressing this idea of justification by faith. But it's broken down into two different parts. There's the first, it's the blessings associated with faith, verses 6 through 9. And then it's going to be followed up with the curses associated with works, verses 10 through 14. But it's important to see that it's a package deal. The, the whole section is dealing with justification by faith. Now, if you happen to be one of those people that underlines or highlights in your Bible, I would encourage you to read through this section highlighting or underlining every time that you see the words blessed or blessing, curse or cursing. If you underline or highlight those things, you will immediately see this text begin to open up and you can see the two divisions that are happening within these verses. A second piece that I want to share with you as we orient ourselves to the text is that there's three major questions that are spanning these verses, the rest of the chapter, as well as a major portion of the next chapter. So the three questions that are being asked, the first question is how was Abraham made right with God? That's going to be addressed in verses 6 through 14. The second question is what is the true purpose of the law? That is going to be addressed in verses 15 through 25. And then the third question is who are the real heirs of promise? That's going to be addressed over in chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Now, since Abraham is being referenced throughout this entire section, it is imperative that we go back and remind ourselves of what was happening within the story of Abraham. Because everything that's in that story is what the Apostle Paul is pulling out as he's teaching this particular section to the Galatian believers. So it's going to take us a while to work through this, but it's okay. We got all the time in the world until Jesus comes. We're going to be studying the word together. We're going to be finding out what it is that God has in relation to his word for his people. So tonight and next week, 
I'm going to share four key moments in Abraham's life and how those four key moments help us understand this text. So here's the first of those. Moment number one. God gives three promises to Abram. A-B-R-A-M. Abram. So if you would like, feel free, turn over into your Bibles, over to the book of Genesis, chapter number 12. Genesis chapter number 12. We're going to spend a lot of our time over in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, right back in that section, because that's where those stories happen. It's the stories that Paul is referencing here in chapter 3. So in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, this is what the text says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Verse number two, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now this is the first interaction that we find in our Bibles between Abraham or Abram and God. And just let me pause there for a moment and say when you see Abram, A-B-R-A-M, and then you see the name Abraham, it is one in the same. It's the same guy, just a different point along the journey. So God comes to Abram and he gives him some directions. And within this direction, there's a dialogue that starts up. And in the conversation, God promises Abram the land, the seed, and the blessing. The land, the seed, and the blessing. That is going to be crucial in our understanding, not only of Abram's life, but also what's happening over in the book of Galatians. Now, all of this begins with this initial set of directions. That is, he was to leave his country... He's to leave his family and friends. He is to go to the land that God is going to show him. And God does not tell him what the land is going to be like. He doesn't tell him how long it's going to take to get there. He does not tell him anything about the land. He doesn't tell him if the land is going to be dangerous or safe, if it's going to be pretty or ugly. He doesn't tell him if it's going to be bountiful or barren. All he says is go forth from your country to the land that I will show you. In the very next verse, it says, So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. First interaction recorded in Scripture with God. That's faith. I grew up in a Christian home. I've been in church all my life. I've been a pastor for 23 years. And there are times that I sense God prompting me to do something. And sometimes it's clear in his word. And it's hard for me to step out on faith in that moment. And Abram, at this moment, I mean first interaction with God. Leave your country. Leave your family and friends. I'm not going to give you the details. You'll get those along the way. Go to this other country and the next verse... He gets up and leaves. I'm thinking, man, that's faith. You cannot read the story of Abraham and not see exceptional faith. So in the text, 
Abram, he steps out in obedience. He received a word from God, he believed the word from God, and he acted in obedience to the word from God. Receive, believe, act. Receive, believe, act. Receive, believe, act. Are you receiving the word of God? Are you believing the word of God? Are you acting upon the word of God? By the way, when you act upon God's word, guess what happens? He gives you the next step. That you receive, that you believe, and that you act on. And then you go again through the same cycle. So in this text, Abram's life is put on display. And what we find in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, where it says, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abram saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. That quote is a reference that is found in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. That's where the story actually happens. Now, just after that particular scene and before the next big moment, Abram went through some trying circumstances. It, while he is getting into the promised land. By the way, have you ever wondered why it's called the promised land? He was promised the land, the seed, and the blessing. It's a part of this initial group of promises. So as he's getting settled into the promised land, Abram's family was taken in a raid by warring nations. Abram hears about the news. He gathers together this small army of servants and trained men. They pursue the marauders. They bring back the people. They bring back the goods as a recognition of God's protection and blessings on the trip. The Bible tells us that Abraham took a tenth of the spoils and gave them to Melchizedek, who was the high priest. Now, that information is necessary as we get into the next part of his story. So here is moment number two. God promises Abram a son, promises him a son. Now, if you happen to be in the book of Genesis, you can just go a couple of pages beyond that into chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. So it begins in verse 1, after these things. Well, what things is he talking about? Talking about the raid? He's talking about the return of the family. He's talking about a tenth being given to God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now, there is no reason to tell someone, do not be afraid, unless fear has somehow crept into the picture. Yes, he was victorious, but that doesn't mean his fears go away. He's in a hostile environment. He's separated from the rest of his family and friends. He, he might be thinking, are they going to come back and take my family again? Is this group going to come back and take all that I own? He might have been wondering, is this it? Do I keep going forward? Do I go back to what is familiar? And in this moment, God meets with him and he says, do not be afraid. Fear is one of those things that settles in quickly into our lives. God said, do not be afraid, Abram. And then he says, I am a shield to you. A shield is for protection. 
A shield is something you get behind when danger is coming. Let's personalize that. Hey, Abram, I'm your shield. Abram, there's problems going to be coming. Abram, you need to get behind me. Abram, your fears are going to creep in. I'm your shield. I'm here to protect you. If you have ever followed a promise of God, you know how important it is that we come behind God and not try to get ahead of him. It's important for us to remember that the one who promises is the one who protects. The one who says, I'm leading you, is the one that we are to follow behind. So old-time preachers used to say it like this. God teaches his people through the three Ps. Promise, problem, provision. The three Ps. By the way, anytime you can alliterate what it is that you're saying, you always know God's in that particular moment right there. So promise, problem, provision. Now now here's what the old preachers would say. They would tell their people, God's going to give you a promise. There's promises that are found in his word. And whenever you try to hold on to that promise, just know a problem, if not multiple problems, are coming. And you got to work through the problems to get to the provision that is going to be on the other side. So when you're in those moments and all you see is nothing but problems, just know you are right in the middle of God's training session. You are right in the place where in those problems, that's where you learn to lean into God. That's where you learn to trust him with all of your heart and not lean on your own understanding. That's the moments that you're going to find out, am I going to walk forward in faith or am I going to run the other direction? When the problem comes is when you find out if you actually believe the thing you amen last Sunday. <laughs> you know, it is easy to say, amen, God is always with me. Amen, God provides. Amen, he makes a way where there is no way. It's easy to amen it when that's not what you live in. But when you walk in through it, All of a sudden, it's like God's saying, let's find out if you actually trust me with this one or not. So the key here is the fact he's been given a promise. Now there's a problem. Now keep in mind, the first set of promises, the land, the seed, and the blessing, back in Genesis chapter 12, that is now 10 years prior to what we find in verse number, or chapter number 15. 10 years has passed without him receiving the fullness of the land, without him receiving the fullness of the seed, and without him receiving the fullness of the blessing. So I'm sure at this point he's wondering, God, this is a nice promise, but when are you going to give me what was already promised? Now that's not just me speculating, that's actually what he tells us. Look at verse number 2 of Genesis chapter number 15 and following. So Abram said, O Lord God, What will you give me since I am childless? The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, the seed, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but the one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. 
And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Verse number six, then he believed, there's that word, believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, verse 6 is huge. That is what is being quoted in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. It says, he believed the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. This word believed, it means an unqualified commitment of oneself to another. Abram didn't put any stipulations on that set of beliefs. He did not try to qualify his beliefs. He did not try to hem God in and say, I will believe if you do this within six months. Instead, he simply believed. And God's response is he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Reckoned is an accounting term. It means to credit to someone's account. This statement means that the righteousness of God was credited to his account because he believed God. That is crucial. It was not reckoned to his account because he did good. It was not reckoned to his account because he was a good family man. It was not reckoned to his account because he got together a band of brothers and they went out and got his family and his friends and his goods back. It was reckoned to his account because God gave him a promise and he believed the promise of God. Listen, it's always been faith. The same is true of us to this day. God's plan for justification, making a person right with him, has always been faith. It's the same word translated as imputed or credited in Romans chapter 4, verse 11. For a sinner who believes in the finished work of Christ on the cross, God's righteousness has now been credited to their account. It's not because they did something for it. It is because they believed what God has declared, and it has now been credited to their account. Their sin debt has been removed completely. Now, something really really cool, happens second half of Genesis chapter 15. So after the righteousness of God is credited to Abram, God enters covenant relationship with Abram, verses 9 through 18. God tells Abram that he's to bring three animals and he's to bring two birds. Abram brought the animals, he cut them in half, He laid the halves opposite of each other. He did not cut up the birds. Scripture says that a deep sleep came over Abram. God spoke to Abram about what was going to happen to his descendants in the land. And we read this unbelievably cool description over in verses 17 and 18. Here's what it says. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoldering or smoking oven, a fire pot, and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. Verse 18. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, in that time when a covenant was made or a covenant was cut, there were two traditions that were very prominent then. One of those would be that warring kings 
would walk between the dead on the battlefield. And each of the warring kings would make a covenant with each other as they're seeing the slain before them, as they're seeing the blood before them, they make a covenant together. But there was another tradition, and that is two people would walk between animal parts and they would rub the blood on themselves and on their clothing. Then they would walk back through and they would make this commitment. May God do to me what has been done to these animals if I break my covenant with you. Now this is big. This is big. In that situation, each person took responsibility for their part of the covenant. Listen, with Abram, God walked it alone. Here's what that means. God says, I take full responsibility for this. My covenant with you is not going to be based on whether or not you can live up to my righteous standard. My covenant is going to be based on my faithfulness to my people. He promised the land. He promised the seed. He promised the blessing. Now get this. 2,000 years ago, God made another covenant with humanity. And in that second covenant with humanity, Jesus himself, his body was broken. His body was bruised. His blood was spilled. And that second covenant, remember, he alone walked that path for us. You and I couldn't do it. You and I did not have the ability in ourselves to be able to stand toe-to-toe with the God of this universe and say, I take responsibility for doing this side of the covenant. We can't do it. We're fallen. We're depraved. The only thing we bring to the equation is depravity and brokenness and filthy rags of righteousness. But our God walked the path of Calvary alone. Listen. When you get what it is that Paul is drawing correlation to, he's telling the Judaizers through their own hero, he's saying, you're telling people that it has to be faith in Christ plus them obeying the Mosaic covenant in order to be right with that God. He said, let me take you back to your hero for just a moment and say that he walked in that situation, God walked the covenant alone. And when it came to Calvary, Jesus walked the covenant alone. Our part is simply we submit and place faith in what Jesus has done for us. It has always been faith. It's not that Old Testament, it was works. New Testament, it's faith. It's faith all the way through. It's important for us to recognize as well that there's a timeline that's happening here. It cannot be said that Abram was justified by the law because the law was not given until 400 years after this. It could also not be said, as we're going to get into this next week, that he was justified by circumcision because that scene takes place 14 years after the scene that I just mentioned a moment ago. What you find in the timeline here is that the arguments that were being used by the Judaizers saying that this is what you have to do to be made right with God, if they just simply went back into their own history looking at their own hero, they would have known it won't work that way. It it doesn't add up that way. So as we close out tonight, I want you to think about God's promises to you and I. 
I want you to think about the fact that he walked the road alone. I want you to think about the fact that you are in a covenant relationship with the God of this universe. If you have repented of your sin by placing faith in Christ, you are in a covenant relationship and there was nothing that you could do on your side to enter. But at the same time, when you're held in the sovereign hand of an almighty God, the same one who brought you in is the same one who's keeping you, the same one who is protecting you, the same one who is the shield before you. When we understand covenant, when we understand the gospel, there's a whole new dimension that begins to come out in our walk with God. There's a freedom that comes here. Let me finish by saying this. For so many years of my Christian life, I had zero freedom in a practical sense. Not that I did not have it in a positional sense. When I got saved, I got saved. There was freedom. I just didn't know about it. I didn't understand what it looked like to walk in freedom. So my entire Christian existence was about what can I do to keep God's favor? And sometimes people would say things that they were well-meaning in the moment, but it set me up on the wrong path. They would say, God gave his life for you. The least you can do is live your life for him. And it sounds spiritual. But what happens is we internalize that by saying, I've now got to hold up this side of the covenants. And all of a sudden you enter into a works-based righteousness and you think every day, I could have prayed longer. I could have read the Bible longer. I could have shared my faith with more people. I could have served more. I still got an extra five in my wallet. I could have given it to this person. Hey, I, I'm, I keep letting God down. And I spent so much of my Christian experience feeling as though I kept letting God down. And then one day I'm out in the garden. By the way, there's a lot of amazing things that happen in the garden through Scripture. I'm out in the garden, and I'm, I'm wrestling with God over this. And I can remember as clear as could be. Here's the verse he just spoke into my heart. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I sat there like, God, I'm not free. I feel more in bondage now than I ever did before because now I know what is right, and I feel like I can't live up to what is right. And that's that same voice whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. My last probably 17, 18 years of my Christian journey has been about pursuing an intimate relationship with God where day after day I sit in his presence and instead of the voice in my head beating me down, saying, you're not enough. You'll never live up to the standard. You need to keep trying harder. Here's the voice that God keeps whispering into my heart. I love you, Paul. Come sit with me. Learn my yoke. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm going to tell you, when you sit in the presence of God long enough and he whispers 
encouragement into your heart. And then all of a sudden, you hear preaching that adds burden back onto people. Instantly, something goes off and says, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. I'm going to tell you, one of the reasons why the church has lost much of its influence in society is not because the gospel has changed. It's not because the gospel is any less powerful. It is because the gospel has been proclaimed, and yet we still choose to run back into the law. And when you sit in the law long enough, it'll beat you to death. The law was our tutor to lead us to Christ. Next week. Next week, we get into the special conversation of circumcision, moment number three. Come on back. Bring your family with you. Listen, there are pieces in Scripture that you're like, why in the world would God have put that in there? There's a reason behind it. Just going to find out if you're brave enough to come back this next week. Amen? Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, may your people experience freedom. May we not be in a position where we have been saved by grace through faith, and yet we instantly try to do it all ourselves right afterwards. God, we recognize that it is not that we just sit and do nothing, but rather it is that as we abide in you, you live your life through us. So, Lord, I am praying that you would bless us with sweet, incredible freedom. God, may there be revival that happens in the souls of your saints. May weary followers of Christ come alive to the truths of the gospel, that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you all have a wonderful week. Come back this next week, especially Sunday nights. Bring all your friends and family with you. Amen. Have a great week.